You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, welcome back to the show. Surprise, surprise. Introducing a brand new format today, a post-contest format. We're calling it the five-minute recap. Featuring, of course, the Rip Curl Pro at Bells Beach. The entire idea here is to bring you all the important details without any of the lulls between sets, without any of the nonsense, just the highlights, straight to the bloodstream. So I'm going to do it all in five minutes. That's my goal. It's all made possible today by fanatic.com. Use the promo code podcast. You will get your first month free and you will also support this show. I'm sure you've heard me talk about them before, but they're basically the Netflix for fins for 10 bucks a month. You create a queue on their website. They have pretty much every fin from all the big brands, futures, um, FCS, all that stuff, quads, thrusters, single fins, pretty much everything. So, um, 10 bucks a month, they'll send you fins to your house, cover postage, both ways, all that stuff. So fanatic.com, you have to use the promo code podcast for us to be supported. And then of course, to receive your first month free. So thank you to them. Start your timers. The five minute recap begins now. Formerly the Bells Beach Surf Classic, the now Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach is the longest continuously running surf contest in history. Founded in 1961 and becoming a professional event in 1973 makes this the 57th year that the event has run. It also actually marks the end of an era, which I'm sure you're well aware of. That is the era of Mick Fanning, his career and his reign as a four-time Bells Beach champion. The event finished in spectacular surf on the finals day at the Bells Bowl. Took about six days to run, including two lay days. The men and the women ran alternatively at multiple venues, Bells and Winky Pop, both serving up a variety of conditions ranging from fair to good. The concept of running at multiple venues is a very good thing for viewers. Personally, it doubles my interest in the event. It also allows um, for better odds in running in the best possible waves. If Bell sucks, it's a chance that Winky could be good. So additionally, having that multiple venues highlights, I think, both the strengths and the weaknesses of a given surfer within the same event. So this was best illustrated by the 2009 champ, Silvana Lima, who absolutely shined at Winky, pinning every section on the fast down the line rights. While back at Bells, she'd employ the triple check bottom turn, trying to wait for the bowl to stand up. And then she'd often fall when um, she was trying to pace herself through the flat spots. So a question that we always have on this show is just, um, why have mushy waves on tour? Why have bells? Why have Margaret's, the main break at Margaret's anyways? And those style of waves really aren't the best to showcase the caliber of athletes that the WCT surfers are. I think it actually kind of squashes the top guys down to kind of compete at a mediocre level. Mick Fanning will not do his best surfing in mushy waves. So the one thing that I do like about it, though, is that it's kind of nice to see how the top level pros surf a wave that's more akin to what 
you and I would serve. So there's an element of that that I like, but let's get real. Let's get these guys and girls on the best waves in the world. Other than the two event winners, all former Bells champs were decimated in the early rounds. Carissa Moore, Sally Fitzgibbons, Adriana DeSouza, Matt Wilkinson, Joel Parkinson, Jordy Smith all faltered. So some real quick bullet points from the event. Gabriel and Idolo did whitewash takeoffs. Very impressive. The Bells Bowl illustrated how Griffin Colomito has all the flow of Parco, but with the explosive spontaneous turns and tail blows that Seabass too infrequently showcases. Seabass busts them out every once in a while. Griffin seems to have them on lock, but with that effortless flow that Parco has. So really rad to see Griffin coming into his own. Tyler Wright and former event champs, uh, Sally Fitzgibbon and Fitzgibbons and Carissa Moore all had shockingly substandard performances. They looked almost uninterested and then unfocused once standing up. They left a huge opening for wild cards and rookies. More on that later. Mick Fanning got through to round four at about 60% of his ability level. That was until Pat Godowskis had him up against the ropes in round four. This seemed to activate a switch in Mick Fanning, and he absolutely caught fire. Winning the heat and then going on to beat Owen Wright, who slept in his car the night before uh, their heat to avoid a sick baby at home. Mick Fanning and Pakadowskis met again in the semifinals, and Mick trounced him. Other observations of Mick during his final event, he doesn't apply sunblock beyond his jawline. Odd. He overapplies it as war paint on his cheeks and on his forehead and his nose, but then leaves his neck and ears completely exposed. My dermatologist would not approve of this method. And upon inspecting all the archival footage that they were showing of Mick throughout the event, he's been doing it his entire career. I don't know how I just realized it, but what's the deal with that? Mick also brought back the old school Rip Curl search logo slash sticker that Parker Coffin drew on Mason Hoseboard last month. And then all other Rip Curl surfers swapped out their red wave logos for Mick's proprietary black sticker honoring his retirement. Zeke Lau successfully hassled and rattled John John by not only dominating first priority when they've paddled out in their round three heat, but then by posting a seven on his very first ride. Not only did he do that, but he unnecessarily paddled tight circles around John John during the lulls in between waves. Literally paddled so close to John John that he was actually paddling over his board in a circle around John John strictly to irritate him as a tactic. Not only did it work as John fell on his scoring waves and finished the heat with a uh, kind of depressing 9.73 heat total, but it polarized fans on the internet. All the drama reminded me that this is a sport and we need aggression. It shifts agendas, creates consequence, and ultimately leads to more exciting surfing. It angered John John, which he expressed in his post-heat interview, something that I have never seen from him. And while it served Zeke well in round three, I think it'll haunt him in all future matchups with John John. John will certainly learn to incorporate the aggression and the defensive tactics in future heats, but more importantly, Zeke likely unlocked a new side of John John that we've never seen before that is fueled by vengeance and fury, which, if he can harness and direct, will help him retain his world champ status. Going into West Oz in 25th place, 
he will definitely need to find a new gear, and I'm afraid that Zeke Lau might have helped him get there. Zeke went on to get dismantled in quarterfinal three by Idolo Ferrer, but before that, Idolo participated in the best heat of the event with Felipe Toledo, heat 10 of round three. Both surfers combined progressive maneuvers with speed, power, and flow, and they did huge end smashes to free fall finishes. Felipe opened the heat with a seven, and then each successive wave by both surfers improved upon that score, and Idolo narrowly earned the win. This heat exemplified what's working about the new head judge Pratamo Arendt's compressed scoring scale. Filippo and Idolo not only elevated their surfing, but they didn't even take off on waves that wouldn't net an excellent score. While Idolo won that heat, Felipe's free surfing clip from the following lay day probably received more views than any heat during the entire event. That's something for the WSL to take note of. The first memorable impression that Idolo left on me was actually in his rookie year at Cloudbreak. He was smashing these head-high end sections over dry reef, a section that every other surfer was kicking out on, and he exhibited that same reckless abandon this year at Bells by throwing himself into the unpredictable end section lips, free falling into the explosion, compressing and then riding out with a bold claim. Uh, This is the same exact part of the wave, the same opportunity where the 209 pound William Cardoso and former event champ Joel Parkinson would sneak in their under the lip power carves, which while they look impressive at the time of execution, they were later revealed to be safety turns by Idolo's bravado. Over on the women's side, Caroline Marks lived up to all the hype that's followed her through her entire amateur career, which was littered with 10 point rides. Remindful of Gabriel Medina's ascent to greatness, actually. She looked completely unflappable at Bells. Great flow in between huge maneuvers. Never lacked confidence when facing big pressure or big names. She took down Lakey Peterson, Joanne DeFay, Keely Andrew, before eventually succumbing to eventual uh, event champ Stephanie Gilmore. Silvana Lima, on the other side of the draw, took down Carissa Moore and Tyler Wright, but with much less conviction. She falls a lot. And while that might add some excitement to the waves that she actually completes, it shows an inconsistency and perhaps even a frailty that really doesn't bode well for a format that requires 12 winning waves throughout the course of the event, and more dauntingly, 10 events throughout the course of a season. Her falls don't seem to be instigated by pressure situations nor by surfing against big names. She does exhibit a volatile level of emotion, which has earned her tens in past events, but it also seems to really haunt her after otherwise minor errors in a heat. She kind of just loses it. So she lost in the quarterfinals to eventual finalist Tatiana Weston-Webb, but she still showcased some really electric surfing, so we'd like to see more of that. Patrick Godowskis is another worthy mention. He has a zip and a verve, that I haven't really determined if it's a strength or a weakness, but it's definitely a thing. Uh, He might be the most reliable surfer on tour to get a seven, but then just struggle to push into that eight range. We'll just have to see. We'll have to see through more events throughout the season. My other honorable mention is Michelle Berez, who was beaten by Pat Godowskis in the quarterfinals, but he reminded us that when he is on, he possesses an unrivaled balance of power and zest. Sadly, and as is the case with all explosive energy in the universe, 
it comes in fits and it simply seems impossible to sustain. So he's a heavyweight and he can't seem to go to muster the stamina to go, you know, 12 rounds or in surfing the seven rounds that are required of the men. He, William Cardoso, Jordy Smith, they need their own weight class where they can just kind of focus on throwing a couple huge haymakers. That's where they would thrive. Otherwise, in this current marathon format, he'll be nullified by surfers who can not only link together maneuvers, but link together waves throughout a heat and then link together heats through an event and eventually link together events throughout a season. Congratulations to Stephanie Gilmore, who solidified finesse and flow as key elements to success at Bells and securing her 27th event victory. She surfed her 400th heath during this event and was forced to prove her worth with her back up against the wall against Caroline Marks in the semifinal. She dropped a nine in the final minutes. Although the scores didn't reflect it, Gilmore had a much easier task against Tatiana Weston Webb in the final, where her final or I'm sorry, where her wave selection and overall flow showcased a real stark contrast between their ability levels. This also marks Stephanie Gilmore's fourth Bells victory, where she joins the ranks of other four-time winners, Kelly Slater, Mick Fanning, and Mark Richards. And lastly, congratulations to Idolo Ferrer, who spoiled one of the greatest swan song stories in surfing history, where Mick Fanning was poised to win his final event on tour while simultaneously setting a new record of five Bells Beach wins in his 18th event surfed there, and he would have retired in the number one position on the championship tour, but it wasn't to be. Idolo posted a 15.66 final score, leaving Mick with priority, needing a 7.57, waiting for a final wave that never arrived. Idolo is the real deal. He's fearless in any wave size and and just in his approach to surfing and in his confrontations with icons like Mick Fanning, Gabriel Medina, Kelly Slater. He's the second ever Brazilian to win bells after Adriana de Souza and his surfing is raw and unrelenting and that's hard not to love. A lot of insiders are saying that he's poised for a world title win this year. We've only completed two events, so it's hard to say, but he leaves Bells in second place on the rankings, and Mick Fanning retires his career in third place. Thanks. I think I ran a little beyond the five-minute mark, but I'll try harder next time. We'll see you in West Oz.